The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. I have never been more emasculated in my life. Why is that? I just got back from the Victoria Day weekend fireworks uh, in the park across the street. Yeah. And you can still hear it going on, by the way, in the distance. Yeah, and so? Well, I get a text from my wife saying, don't worry, I've bought the fireworks. Now... <laughs> that in and to itself should tell you everything you need to know about why I felt so emasculated when I arrived tonight. In our neighborhood, um, everybody seems to get together and drop a bundle on fireworks. Oh, they do that in my neighborhood, too. Yeah, and they all, all these families go to the, to the park across the street and turn into pyromaniacs. You can spend hundreds upon hundreds of dollars for the most simple of displays. So I asked my wife, uh, oh, okay, great. So you got the fireworks. How much did you spend? She says, $17. Okay. Oh, I see where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) So so I get out there just as dusk hits and the little ones are getting antsy. And uh, I light off $17 worth of fireworks, (laughs) uh, most of which were rated for 1.2 meter height. (laughs) Like the height of an average man. Yeah. Oh, dear. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and it was so insignificant that a crowd of children gathered around. And you, I could just imagine, imagine the parents <laughs> on the hillside going, what is Johnny doing this so close to those fireworks? Get him away. Um, lady, I could have licked the tip of the fireworks and I would not have gotten burned. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> oh. and, then, and then the moment I pack up my stuff and start to walk away, the real men came out with their fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. Exactly the same thing happens across. You know where I live, right? We're right across the yep. street from the, the soccer fields, and uh, the whole the whole fa- the whole neighborhood comes out with you know these weapons of mass destruction. And I don't know whether it has anything to do whether uh, you know a lot of my neighborhood is predominantly Asian, so maybe they have these traditional uh, ideas towards what fireworks should be. But these people are absolutely awesome when it comes to setting this stuff off. I mean, it goes on for hours, and the heights... I mean, we're on the flight path for Pearson Airport, and I'm sure that they have to divert. If you've got the weapons of mass destruction going off in your field, for me, it was like I showed up with aspirin. (laughs) Oh, boy. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The video game industry goes whale hunting. We'll look at how much you're spending on in-app purchases. Wine and Grind will look at the three-part history of Ska and why the English beat has split the planet in two. Okay, which which comes first, virtual reality games or the headsets? Ubisoft announces plans to bring 3D shoot-em-ups to the third dimension. Plus, we're giving away a Roku 3 streaming media player and how much the $6 million man would cost if we built him today. And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. Um, I should let you know that I am coming from the uh, Valley Wing of the Shangri-La Hotel in Singapore this week. I have just done a uh, uh, speed test, and I'm doing 15 up and two down. 
There is a new thing called high, uh, HotelWiFiTest.com that allows you to test hotel rooms, uh, hotels by the room. So if you ever find yourself in a hotel room, which I will for the next couple of weeks, uh, give it a shot. HighHotelWiFiTest.com. And let's just see if you're getting your money's worth. This particular Wi-Fi connection is free. It comes with a room. But if you're paying, as you still do in so many hotels, like 10 bucks a day or 15 bucks or even 20 bucks a day, you better make sure that you're getting your money's worth. My wife is a whale. Is yours? Oh, dear. How do I answer this? Uh, Why is your wife a whale, Michael? Um, Let's qualify that uh, explicitly. A whale is a a casino industry term for the the big high rollers who lose big. And the mobile game industry has picked up on that term, uh, and they are trying to catch more whales. And what a whale is is someone who pays for a free game like Candy Crush Saga. Oh, dear. Bejeweled Blitz. Yeah, okay. My wife uh, is a huge player of the Bejeweled Blitz, and you can only get so far in the game without paying for the little extra jewel packs at, you know, 20 bucks a pop. And a whale is someone who spends 50 to $100 a month on in-app purchases for their so-called free game. I know a guy who was playing the Simpsons game, and he spent somewhere... Over $150 on donuts. Yeah, this is the issue. My uh, wifey said to me one day, I'm only spending like 50, 60 bucks or so. And I pulled up the iTunes receipts and he was north of $300 over the last 18 months. Oh, God, no. Oh, give me a break. I've spent way more than 300 bucks in the last 18 months on geek toys. So I am by far not the least bit concerned about her consumption. But according to this article in the Wall Street Journal, only 3% of freemium play game players actually pony up extra cash to continue to play the game or to advance or to get additional features. I'm sorry. What, 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 now, wait, what was the percentage again? 3%. Oh, my God. Okay. However... Of that minuscule amount, two out of three drop a buck or two, but that one out of three will drop upwards of $100 a month. And that's the person that a video game developer on a mobile device today is building an app for in an attempt to suck your wallet dry. Oh, God, I hope my mother never discovers this stuff. My mother is a casino whale. Mind you, she's a tiny one in the sense that all she she does is play the nickel slots. But every time she goes to the casino with my dad, I know a big chunk of my uh, my inheritance is going down the, the drain. If I ever got my parents an iPad, and if I ever introduce them to Candy Crush Saga or, or Bejeweled or something, we'd, we'd be doomed. I, I would be, that. that's it. I'd be, I'd be supporting them. I was amazed to learn that only 3% of people who download a free game with the in-app purchase capability actually do invest in the game itself. But the whole idea that you're relying on really such a, a small piece of the pie to actually get the big bucks is, is absolutely remarkable to me. It, it really is. It also speaks to the scale of these games. If uh, How much money do you suppose a Candy Crush Saga creator makes on those 3%? Obviously an awful lot. I'm always getting uh, Facebook messages saying, we invite you to play Candy Crush Sega. No, go away. 
so I, I think what they're trying to do is, is, is rope people into their addiction. I mean, they, they, it's, it's like uh, heroin addicts or, or crack addicts. And, you know, come on, here's a taste. Just join us, man. And, and I, will not, I will not take part in that. According to Business Insider, 100 million people log on every day for their fix of games like Candy Crush, according to uh, the filings from King Media, which is uh, the company that made Candy Crush. Uh, there are only a few companies in the business uh, like them. Rovio's the other one with the Angry Birds, Mojang with the Minecraft, etc. But uh, King is focusing on the multi-billion dollar mobile games market. And though the company doesn't publish its numbers, industry experts figure that its revenues are as much as three million dollars a day wow see we got into the wrong business we should have learned to, to, to code apps <laughs> with in-app purchases the in-app purchase is the big issue particularly when it comes to children because you may have your kid come up to you and say daddy i want to uh, buy this game oh well it's free no problem and you click the free button you enter in your password and you get the game but that password remains available for reuse without having to enter it again for like 15 minutes wow so if the kid starts making app purchases within the 15 minute window you're getting dinged they've reined that in substantially since then all right, let's let's just back up a little bit. How can we create a Geeks and Beats app that has some kind of in-app purchases that will net us $3 million a day? If we already had the answer to that question, do you think we'd be sitting here? Well, I don't think we've ever well, asked the you question. might be in the uh, South Caribbean's Eastern Asian compound or wherever you are right now in the hotel. Well, no, I'm in Singapore. Singapore is a very high-tech hub, and it's the head of creative. Uh, so maybe I'll go over to Creative Technologies and see what they can do for us. That would be a grand idea. Are, are you hearing the, the fireworks going off in the background? Uh, it is 9 o'clock in the morning here, so uh, no. Oh, I, oh, in your place. Oh, uh, no, I'm not, actually. I mean, it could be my hotel Wi-Fi test. That's not doing as well as it should. That had to have been at least 200 bucks in just the last 15 seconds. Why are they doing it tonight when it should be done tomorrow? Tonight is tomorrow. Remember, you're in Singapore. Sorry, I'm Tuesday, you're Monday. Right, okay, sorry, wrong. They actually, you know, they, this, this hotel caters to international travelers. So when you go into the elevator, they change the mats in the elevator every day to recognize, uh, to reflect the day of the week. So the only way I knew it was Tuesday when I went down for breakfast this morning is by looking at my feet in the elevator. <laughs> Seriously. According to the market researcher NewZoo, global game revenues across all platforms, all platforms. So this is your, your consoles, this is your PC games, this is your mobile games. As of 2016, will be $86.1 billion. Okay, here's a note to all our interns and wannabe interns. Uh, we need you to build a Geeks and Beaks app that has some kind of in-app purchase that you need to give to me and Michael so that we can make a lot of money and then maybe cut you in a little bit. Just a little bit. Tiny bit. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. 
how are you doing with your Apple Watch? Um, I'm starting to understand what the Apple Watch is really all about. And we've mentioned this in the past, and I won't go too in-depth on it, but the gist is, is you strip away most of the notifications to your primary ones, and it ensures that you're not hooked to a screen 24-7. It actually is a great efficiency tool. The problem I'm finding with it, very slow. Launching apps takes forever. Okay, let's assume that this is a software versus a hardware problem. Right. And that they need to somehow uh, optimize the software to, to make it a little bit more responsive when you're launching apps. That's that's what I'm hoping for because, you know, now I don't know whether I'm going to buy a version one. I've been putting it off. And the reason I, I'm, I'm putting it off now is because right now I'm using my brand new MacBook, the super, super, duper, duper thin one in space gray. And uh, that cost me about uh, 1600 bucks. So I don't know if I really want to spend an extra money on version one of a new piece of hardware. Well, hang on. Geeks and Beats paid for that Apple Watch you have yet to purchase. No, no. It is sitting in the account. I have not purchased it yet. All right. So the point being is that it's found money as far as I would be concerned. Okay. But I'm still $150 short. Perhaps after this trip, I'll have some money left over and I'll put it into the PayPal account and make the transfer. Well, for the Geeks and Beats update, we're, we'll update that because you may have a little more cash than you think coming in the door. All right, that's fine. And, and we have to point out that we're not doing this, for, for all the people that are contributing money, we're not doing this to enrich ourselves. We're doing this as part of what the day-to-day operations of the show. Well, I'd like to do it to enrich myself. Well, yeah. I, 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 put a, I put a metric ass load of work into this show. Well, you, okay, fine, you can. I, by the way, <laughs> fine. I don't, I don't care. You do put a lot of work. You put more work into it than I do. The, uh, the MacBook that I bought yeah. is the, I, out of my own money. So, so, but I got to tell you, this thing is really, really cool. Let me ask you this, though. If, if you're not going to go to first-generation Apple Watch, would you go first-generation Rift headset by Oculus? For gaming? See, I'm not a gamer, so I really don't understand why I do it. Are you going to? Well, a Geeks and Beats writer Matt Padani is describing this rather chicken-and-an-egg scenario that's building with the Oculus Rift headset, which was recently purchased by Facebook. He is reporting that uh, the headsets themselves come to you and me in early 2016, and while the pricing and pre-order details haven't been released yet, that'll come in the next couple of months. But the most important thing is Ubisoft, the studio behind Hit video game franchises like Assassin's Creed and Far Cry has announced it's developing games to take advantage of the VR technology once it hits the broader market next year. Is there any latency on these things? Do you get dizzy watching through Oculus Rift? No, and this is the thing I love large about the Oculus Rift, is the problem with previous VR headsets is that minuscule, and it was ever so fractional, the minuscule lag between when you turned your head and the scene actually moved was enough to tell your brain something's wrong. The Rift has that figured out, and when I did the Oculus Rift tests back in 2014, uh, it was amazing how well it tracked your head to the point where I got motion sick on a roller coaster simulator because my brain thought it was real. Do you want to dive under the desk there? I can hear the bombs going off in the background. 
Isn't that amazing? Like, like the park is across the street, and when you spend big bucks, not the $17 my wife spent at Walmart on, on a small package, which my daughter was none too impressed with, if you drop two or $300, you're right, it, it sounds like the British are coming. Oh, it sounds like ISIS is coming. I apologize if the uh, Victoria Day fireworks are, are distracting you here. And I, uh, I apologize for interrupting. I just want to make sure you're okay. <laughs> the beauty, though, is that it looks like Ubisoft is saying when these uh, headsets hit the market, we're going to be there for you. And with games like Assassin's Creed and Far Cry, these th- first-person perspective, three-dimensional shoot-em-up games, they would really benefit from the additional third dimension versus the screen that you're accustomed to where it's fake 3D. You'll, this time you'll be able to say, the bad guy is over there and I can see how far away he is. That's going to add a whole new dimension, no pun intended, to a, a 3D shoot 'em up game. Okay, and here is my prediction. We will have a whole new strain of neck injuries as a result of people playing games on Oculus Rift because they will be snapping their head from side to side and up and down in reaction to game uh, gameplay. But Danny points out that that is a big issue for Ubisoft and any video game maker because you want to have this thing strapped to your head for hours on end. I've worn the thing. I don't know that the, the pre-release model I would want to have on my head for more than 15, 20 minutes at a time. Sony uh, sent me a unit a while back to test out, and the idea was that you could actually just use it for standard movies, of which my wife immediately assumed that this was for nothing more than pornography. Okay, I was going to get to that, but we'll hang on. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, But it was insanely heavy and and to the point where you would end up lying back on the couch. Again, keep that to yourself because you didn't want to sit up for any length of time because the thing just sort of dragged your head forward. Yeah, because the weight it's it's weighted forward over your eyes, right? Awfully heavy units for anything more than 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. So you're going to have neck and shoulder injuries. And then, of course, when the porn comes along, you'll have other kinds of injuries. What kind of injuries would you have? Uh, just think about it. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Valve and Microsoft are also working on their own devices, as is Sony, as I mentioned, and uh, Oculus from Facebook. The big question is, why on earth did Facebook buy a virtual reality headset company in the first place? Well, this is something that I've been wondering for a very long time. I mean, I can understand them buying WhatsApp. I can understand them buying Instagram. That all makes sense, and it's all part of their their core business. But why would you want a virtual reality hardware company? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe they have... Now, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe, maybe one of the th- they want to somehow get us even more immersed into the Facebook universe, whatever that may be. But that's kind of scary. Uh, but still, it's a hardware thing. I, I honestly don't know. I can't tell you. The expectation, or at least the fear anyway, is that all Facebook's going to do is create a virtual 3D mall where you could wander around and buy stuff in three dimensions. Well, why didn't Amazon do that then? That would have been a perfect thing for Amazon. Well, they're too busy building drones that are allegedly going to drop off your packages, which we all know is never going to happen, at least not with the current technology. I don't know. I really wouldn't. I know why Facebook wants the uh, Oculus Rift. Why? 3D pokes. Oh, great. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. 
This is a GNB News Update. We are giving away a Roku 3. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I, 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 I want one. <laughs> you want one, but you don't get this one. I know. I... Not this specific one anyway. Uh, we had been uh, looking at the Roku 3, uh, courtesy of the folks at Roku and uh, IPR, making it available to us to give away to you, and we'll explain how that works uh, in a moment. The neat thing about this little 3.5-inch square box is uh, the HDMI audio-video output connects to your standard HDTV output 720 or 1080p, 7.1 channels of, of Dolby Digital Surround. You can connect it via Wi-Fi, but there's also Ethernet, and it's a streaming video player for a whole bunch of different things things, whether it be Amazon Instant Video, Hulu Plus, Vudu, HBO Go, all of that kind of stuff. But the thing that really got me was that it has voice search. Voice search? Oh, that's right. You were telling me. Yeah, this is, I like this. Yeah, and it comes with its own remote control, uh, which has a headphone jack built into it, but also a microphone jack. So you talk into your TV remote when you're searching for something, uh, if you don't want one of the four buttons labeled Netflix, Amazon, RDO, or Hulu. Excellent. Okay. Now, it's a, it retails for about 110 bucks uh, Canadian, 100 U.S., and the way you can win this thing is by joining the world's worst intern program here at the Geeks and Beats podcast. What makes it the world's worst intern program is you pay us to work here, don't actually do anything to contribute to the show, and everyone who donates at least $1 of the show gets one ticket, raffle ticket, in the bin uh, for us to give away. If you wish to donate $10, that's 10 tickets. One time when we gave away a $500 gadget. Somebody put 100 bucks in, and big surprise, they turned out to be the one who won. Well, okay, well, this is good, because the Roku box is something that I think everybody should have in their living room. They're really, really cool. They work really well. And uh, I was talking to somebody from, uh, from the company the other day, and they were really, really high on it. So, absolutely. By example, uh, Michelle Funk Coltman... I believe Funk is her middle name, uh, donated $10 uh, to the big show through our Patreon uh, website at patreon.com slash geeksandbeats. So that's 10 tickets for her. Mark Bradley's in there for two bucks. Joe Pro in there for two bucks. Stephen King, a dollar. Scott Coates, a dollar as well. Uh, we've got a, a whole collection of people who have uh, joined the big show to become uh, contributors to the show. And Gareth Muller, back in January, uh, donated 25 bucks to the show, which made him a co Producer, which meant not only uh, did he get to have his name mentioned on the big show, but uh, also the uh, album art suitable for printing off and framing and hanging in your parents' basement uh, with his, his name on it. Uh, he uh, supported the show back in January. It was a surprise for his wife when she was at Walking for Oxfam. She's completed the 100-kilometer challenge. Oh, good for her. Took 27 hours. Uh -oh. Raised $3,000. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Well, very nice. Way to go, yeah. dear. As part of the 100-kilometer uh, challenge walk that, uh, again, took her a little more than a full day to, to pull off, both she and uh, Gareth M Muller have been uh, listening to the ongoing history of new music since 2006. They love both your show and ours. Oh, and, God uh, bless them. We've got to give them a shout-out. So thank you very much for supporting the show and doing so back in January. And we're really happy to hear uh, that uh, your wife has now uh, finished that all off. And that is a remarkable amount of cash to raise. No kidding. Well, congratulations, and uh, I'm sure the people at Oxfam are very, very pleased. That's more money raised than we'll ever raise on this show.
Yeah, well, I don't think we've ever reached that in the entire 107 episodes we've been doing this. Geeks and Beats update on the noisy documentary series looking at two-tone ska. One step Yeah, ska is one of those genres that never really seems to die. It comes and goes in waves, but it never really entirely disappears. There's always this undercurrent of bands that love that choppy two and four beat. And and uh, every once in a while, we go through a period of rediscovery where somebody will go back and usually start with the late 70s, early ska, which would be this documentary on the whole two-tone thing with the specials and the selector and the English beat. But then that inevitably leads them further back into, into Jamaica and what how ska began to develop in the 60s and in the 50s and then the very late 40s. And then once they discover where ska came from, they discover that, oh, reggae came out of ska. And then they get into this whole business about dub music and dance hall and everything. It's a very, very interesting rat hole to go down. If you are at all interested in, say, the punk ska, that or ska punk, however you want to determine it, that we have today, go back and look at the two-tone era of the early 1980s and late 70s, and then see where that takes you. You will find a fascinating cultural study there, and I encourage everybody to do it because it's such fun music, and uh, it's great to skank to. I, I see here that ska, to your point, is broken down into three key periods. The, the 60s, uh, the English two-tone revival of the late 1970s, and then you've got the early 80s peaking in in the 1990s. Yeah, we uh, first wave, second wave, thir- third wave ska. But it, it's two-tone, I think, that really gets a lot of the credit for what we know as ska today. Yeah, that was the, the, the post-punk stuff. That was one of the first big post-punk sounds. And it was uh, all very positive music for the most part. It was very interracial music, which was a very big important thing because we had the rise of the National Front, the racist uh, group in the in the United Kingdom back then. And uh, this about racial equality, about everybody getting along, a positive message to go along with it. And it was just great high energy music to dance to. And uh, that two tone era kind of died out ninety one or eighty one eighty two. Uh, when the specials eventually broke up, there were all kinds of problems there. And the specials were the band behind the two-tone record label. Mm-hmm. And the British music press really sort of decided that ska was old-fashioned. And they had moved on to what they thought was going to be the next big thing, which was rockabilly. So ska, after being built up by the British music press, was completely torn down by them by about 82 or 83. But like I said, it never really went anywhere. It just kind of went underground. And there were always people finding ways to resurrect this sound over over the uh over the throughout the rest of the 80s and then when we get into the early 1990s uh ska punk which seemed to come out of places like uh the bay area of california and orange county of california it get really picked up once again so we had bands like sublime we had bands like rancid and uh even no no doubt would get into that sort of groove every once in a while and since then it has never really gone away there's always been an undercurrent of ska punk in alternative music although it really hasn't been as big as it's been as it was in the in the 90s for quite some time but it, it doesn't take long if you 
want to look for this stuff to find to turn up to uh, to turn up some Scott Puck. It's 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 always there. And again, the generations going back and discovering the checkerboard stuff of the two tone era. Um, you really should do it because, like I said, it's uh, it's great fun music and it's timeless. This is a, a form. This is one of the few forms of alternative music that you can trace back to the late 1940s, and it still sounds pretty good. One of my all-time favorite interviews that I did was with you on this show when we interviewed Dave Wakeling from the English Beat. He's a good lad. He uh, he is still doing it. He's been... He was with the, uh, the the English Beat when they started in uh, 1978, 79, and uh, he's still going with the English Beat, still doing what he's doing. Uh, Rankin Roger, which was an, uh, who was another original member of the English Beat, is also heading up another English Beat, but they've basically divided the world into two. Rankin Roger takes over the English Beat and its legacy for North America, and Rankin Roger basically has the UK and Europe. If you want to find out whose mirror in the bathroom they were singing about in that English beat song. If you want to find out where that bathroom was, go to geeksandbeats.com. Check out the interview section uh, because uh, we asked Dave Wakeling about that iconic mirror and I was fascinated by his answers. If you go to geeksandbeats.com, we've got it all there. Some of these songs are not just pulled out of some people's bum. There's actually real history behind them. Ever wanted to be a Big Shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. ever a fan of the six million dollar man uh i was a fan of the original martin caden novel cyborg what there was a predecessor to the six million dollar man or are you saying this is similar no 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 no. six million dollar man was based on a martin caden book called cyborg i had no idea i was it was yeah martin caden he also wrote uh, do you remember the movie marooned yeah yeah so same guy and uh that book was eventually adopted into the six million dollar man uh, three television movies aired in 1973 uh, after uh, and as part of the regular series between 1974 to 1978. And somebody sat down to figure out if you made the six million dollar man today, like you actually built Steve Austin. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Guess how much the bill would be today? Oh, God. Uh, it'd be in the billions. $12,000. What? In parts. No kidding. If you actually wanted to pay the surgeons and manage the medical care component to it. Oh, well, that's a different the story. The $6 million man becomes a $33 million man. Well, that you know, adjusting for inflation, that's not bad. You know, considering, see, last week, was it last week? I was supposed to go to Tulsa to see Rush start their world tour. And uh, I was I, I left the gate because I was suffering from about a kidney stones. And the last thing I wanted to do was be a member, be a guest of the American medical, uh, medical community over the weekend. So I decided I better, better come home. 
because I had heard stories that somebody who was taken to an emergency ward and just to throw up for four hours was, was charged five or $10,000. So to be able to have all your limbs, save one plus an eye, uh, replaced for $33 million is actually, dare I say it, rather reasonable. NPR uh, put this together. They calculated, uh, speaking uh, to uh, a guy who had put all this effort into it, uh, Robert Smith is uh, the guy who's uh, hosting the, the, the piece on this. And we'll link to it on the website as well. Uh, what uh, he did was he interviewed a guy by the name of Anwar Shakir, who, who crunched the numbers on it. He's a, he's a professor uh, at the New School and Studies Inflation. And the inflation calculator on the Intertron, so you know it must be true, from $6 million in 1974 to today, Day is only $28.7 million. So the actual cost, as he figures it, uh, it has exploded largely because of the inflation associated with being a doctor. Doctors are billing you left, right, and center. Uh, more than an arm and a leg. Well, let's just back up a second huh? here. This is something. Huh? Uh, very, huh? yeah, yeah, right. This, this is just back up a second. Now, when Steve Austin had his surgery, he had his surgery uh, at, a, at the behest of the U.S. government, something called the Office of Strategic Operations. Mm. So it was covered by taxpayers' dollars, black ops dollars, as a matter of fact. So uh, that $6 million, well, when you consider what a black ops budget was, would be nothing. Uh, so let's say it does cost $33 million. Who would know? That's if you wanted to do it privately, if you wanted to go down to your local cosmetic surgeon and have him do it. Yeah, go to the Best Buy, pick up the parts, you get yourself a Logitech robotic eye. There you go. Exactly. I, you know, now nah, I'd get a GoPro. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you want it ruggedized. Well, you do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Uh, apparently, the bionic eye that Steve Austin had installed in his noggin had a 20 to 1 zoom lens with infrared capabilities and was capable of running, not the eye, but the legs, at the speed of 60 miles per hour or the equivalent 97 kilometers an hour. According to the Office of Scientific Intelligence, his bionic limbs had the equivalent power of a bulldozer. <laughs> See, he should have got into professional wrestling. Do you know why when they came up with the Lindsay Wagner spinoff uh, where Lindsay Wagner became bionic as well that they did not call it the six million dollar woman? Uh, no, that's a very good question. Because ABC network executives were afraid that if you labeled a woman a six million dollar woman, that people would assume she was a hooker. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. That's why they named the show The Bionic Woman, not The Six Million Dollar Woman. Okay, all right, fine. See, TV back then, you know, they had husbands and wives sleeping in separate beds. Yes. Foot on the floor, foot on the floor. Yeah, I know. Oh, dear. What's that flashing? We're losing it up like shield. Both trap yourselves in. I'm going to make a jump to light speed. Crack.com had this interesting article about seven famous sci-fi inventions with huge downsides. And the one that tickled me the most was number four, warp drive technology, as seen in Star Wars, could cause apocalypses. Or apocalypse-i? What's a, what's a gaggle of apocalypses called? Uh, 
I don't. Th- I think if you have one apocalypse, it kind of precludes there being any others. According to this, and I, since it's on the internet, it must be true. Uh, they've spoken to uh, some scientists on this matter, and while modern scientists do believe warp drive is possible, theoretically they've been able to figure it all out. Uh, the Akubieri warp drive is basically what we're talking about when we talk about Star Trek going in, in Star Wars and hyperspace and all of that bending the fabric of space. The basic premise, of course, is that you your vehicle is in a space bubble, a bubble of relativity that allows you to go from point A to point B. The problem is, is that that bubble sweeps up every particle along the way like a giant broom. An empty space, as you and I know it, is not in fact empty. There's radiation and subatomic particles that, as a result, they stick, as the article describes, like intergalactic bugs on your spaceship windshield. And then when you reach your destination and the bubble stops, and therefore your ship stops, you decelerate out of warp speed, the velocity of those particles continues. And now you've got the Death Star laser looking like a pop gun because you've got particles whipping by so fast you would obliterate everything in their path. Right. Okay. So I guess we're just going to have to say no to work. No, no. We're going to find a way around this. I insist. It took me 22 hours to get uh, from Toronto to Singapore. I would like to be able to do it in uh, 22 seconds. So let's keep working on that. I always thought the premise behind warp drive was that you actually bent space-time, punched a hole from one side to the other, and then flattened space-time out again, and that's what got you from point A to point B. There was no physical, actual traveling involved, no movement. No, the idea was that you created a bubble around you, and then that bubble, which was outside normal space, was no longer subject to the laws of physics, and therefore could travel faster than spe- than, than the speed of light. Thank you, Gene Roddenberry. You, you are thinking about a, uh, a wormhole travel. Warp drive is something completely different. this really disturbing article of the lead singer of The Killers. Yeah, I've interviewed Brandon Flowers a number of times. He seems like a very nice lad, um, but he seems to be a little off sometimes. He can be very shy. He can be very uh, very outspoken. And it it really depends on the day on which you get him. Um, He's a, I guess, a lapsed, semi-lapsed Mormon lad. Um, who does have his spiritual side and uh, like many artists has his, his quirks. And this particular quirk involves shaving. So he has been shaving his face for the last six or seven years. And each time he shaves, he keeps all the shavings, collects all the shavings into a Ziploc bag. He'll grow five or six days worth of beard, make sure the sink is dry, take an electric razor, catch all the hair that he shaves off, and then scoops it into a bag. And he's been doing this since about 2008. He's got an awful lot of this hair. Uh, 
And he says he's going to do something with it, but he's really not sure. He just believes that shaving the stuff off and keeping it means something. Yeah, it means, first of all, that he's getting older because apparently these baggies of hair have gone from black, 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 black to graying. And he doesn't want to throw it away because he thinks it means something. Right. Now, this reminds me of David Bowie circa 1990, circa 1973, 74, 75, when he was living in Los Angeles and tremendously coked out. And what he would often do is store jars of urine in the refrigerator because he was positive that there were some witches lurking nearby that were looking to steal his bodily essences. Uh, this is not normal behavior, and uh, I wish somebody would sit down with Brandon and say, look at either make a sweater or get rid of them. You know what he might have? Trichophilia. What, there's a condition? It is a, an erotic or sexual arousal as a result of hair. Oh. And there is a haircut fetishism subcategory tied to it. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, does this involve multiple people, or can it be a solo activity? I don't know. Maybe you better ask the lead singer of the Killers. Well, he does have a new solo album, and he may be going on tour shortly, so I will bring it up if I have the opportunity. So long as he doesn't have a pair of shears with him at the time, because you've got quite the, the head of hair yourself, my friend. Yes, I do, and I'm keeping as much as I can for as long as I can. I'm going to have to remind him about that. He says, dude, you're not going to be young forever. Eventually, that hair is going to go away. Maybe that's what it is. He's going to glue it all back on. He is looking to build a wig. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.